You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Turnbuckle and um, I'm back to the solo format for a week so you've had some great, um, you've had a few weeks of some great guests I've had on and now I am doing a two-part feature now so the first part you get to listen just to me so I do apologise I will have some other guests back on I've got a few absolute cracking ones lined up so you know, if you if you enjoy the interview episodes, please stay stay with us. I've got some some big names yet to come, and as part of this two part feature, which will happen over the next couple of weeks, I also get to talk to some um, some fellow fans as well, which I'm really really excited about. So not only do I, have I I've got the chance to speak to guys from the industry and some big names you may recognise so far, but uh, you know, this time I get to get to talk to people like myself who who are just, you know, they're they're fans in the very essence of the word. So um before I kick off, just wanna uh, just a sort of a couple of uh, couple of bulletins, a couple of sort of news updates. I wanna give a shout out to um one of the previous guests we've had in the last few weeks, Nancy Ann Jones. It was her birthday this past Sunday. So happy birthday Nancy. I hope you had a good one. And um we are talking about bringing Nancy back on for another show at some point so I really look forward to that thank you for everyone who's listened and fed back on that show that is actually so far the most listened to show on Once Upon a Turnbuckle so um, yeah just keep sharing it it's, um, she was a great guest to have got a lot more stories to tell I'm sure but um, secondly I, uh, I just want to give a shout out as well to the guys over at Nerd to Know Media so anyone who follows my social media will know that um, they very kindly welcomed myself and Once Upon a Turnbuckle into their their media network as part of the Nerd to Know family. Uh, we launched um, last week, so this is actually this this will be the second episode going out with them. Thank you to uh, to Dara and all the guys there for making me feel so welcome and giving me the chance to uh, to reach a wider audience with this show. You know, my vision is to grow it as much as I can, and um, no, I really really appreciate it and looking forward to to where this partnership can take us so um so back to the topic in question so i'm looking at so this is the first part of a feature i'm going to be calling i was there when um this is basically myself and like you see in the next episode is some other fans who have witnessed wrestling events live not only wrestling events though but sort of key 
key moment, something that can be considered um, something something major, a major angle, major event, something noteworthy. So I'm underway with recording for what will be the following episode to this, where I get to talk to other fans. Um, some of them have have seen some some really sort of big stuff live, and um, you know it's great great to talk to them and get their 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 memories of it. This whole podcast is about memories, my memories, the memories of my guests, and so this episode is delving into my memories of my one experience with seeing the WWF as it was then live in person um up to that point it was it was a real sort of boyhood dream of mine you know I was as I've said before I was about seven years old when I first discovered wrestling um and I just dreamed of being able to to see these guys in person and, and you know witness the magic that was professional wrestling and it was 1997 before I actually got my chance to to witness it firsthand. And the event I went to, the event I'm going to be sort of delving back into my memory bank for, is one night only, which occurred in September of 1997, and uh, from Birmingham. And. I'll 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 relive I'll, I'll sort of bring you up to speed. Let's sort of set the scene first. So, what was what was the the industry like at this point? And this was really cool. Looking back on it, it's a really cool period of time. Um, so we were seeing this this event was really at the the beginning of Degeneration X, um, which really kicked off after SummerSlam of that year when. Shawn Michaels cost the Undertaker the the WWE title against Bret Hart. He and Shawn Michaels forged this, this very unexpected, in my eyes, um, comradeship with Triple H. And so, so one night only took place on September the twentieth, nineteen ninety seven. So this is is sandwiched in between. The pay-per-views of uh, the two in your house pay-per-views around that time, Ground Zero and Bad Blood. So I mean, looking back on it now, you've got obviously this is this is the beginning of Austin Mania. Really, uh, nineteen ninety-seven was when he just exploded, and just after SummerSlam, um, he suffered the neck injury against Owen. So he wasn't in action at this time, but he was still around sort of raising hell as he would say and um, one night only came I think only a couple of weeks after the Ground Zero pay-per-view where you had Austin Costo and Hart and the British Bulldog the tag team titles the, the headbangers were the, the champions at this event um, and you I mean going back to Shawn Michaels and Triple H you had the their feud with The Undertaker and you had the the sort of laying the groundwork for the the DX Heart Foundation feud that would obviously culminate in the Montreal Screwjob. But sort of when one night only took place, you would be looking at only a, a couple a few weeks later at In Your House Bad Blood, and what would see the very first Hell in a Cell match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Not only that, but you would see the debut of Kane. So seeing the WWF at this point was was pretty huge. 
Um, and I remember going back to even th the announcement. I remember this vividly. So it was around the time, I think it was around the time of SummerSlam, maybe just before, maybe a couple of days afterwards. They, they It must have been just before. They made the announcement, the WWF made the announcement they were coming to the UK to do this this event. And at the time, I know my mum was busy trying to get tickets for my sister to see Oasis who was her, her yeah, favourite band at that point so I I had already mentioned to her the, the, the fact that WWF was coming over and how big a deal it was I think she already knew how big a deal it was for me and she said she would try and get tickets so as soon as I knew when the tickets were going on sale it was the same day the Oasis tickets were going on sale as well so my mum, I think, I remember rightly, she was on the phone for about four hours straight that day f trying to get through to these ticket lines to, to buy these Oasis tickets and my WWF tickets. And, I mean, she did it. So I, I can't I can't thank my mum enough for that, really, because this, this one event, and even that day she got the tickets, is stuck in my mind for all these years. And um, the WWF announced from the off, I think, they when they announced One Night Only, they... They said that the headline match was going to be Shawn Michaels against the British Bulldog for the European title, which Bulldog had won the European title earlier that year. In my eyes, he's the greatest European champion of them all. I know the title got a little bit of a bad rap towards the end. It was sort of a bit of a throwaway championship. But when he won it, it really did mean something. So, you know, the, the thought of Shawn Michaels was, was my hero at the time. So being able to see him... I I didn't I wasn't one to be patriotic about seeing the British Bulldog. Um, I think going back to like SummerSlam '92, everyone was was rooting for him, and, I, and you know being in Birmingham that night, I can say most of the crowd there were rooting for him as well, even though he's a, he was a bad guy at the time. Uh, but I I wasn't. I think it's just Shawn Michaels was still the guy for me, and I I was it was just the thought of seeing him, and then they added to the card sort of as they went through over the coming weeks. So, I'll uh, I'll rattle the card off in a little bit when I actually get to the event. But I, I I've upon doing a little bit of background for this episode, just trying to you know, find out some finer points. It reminded me how much this card went through changes over just over those few weeks. But the draw for me, the one thing that the, the one reason I wanted to go was Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog. Um, some of their matches that they'd had the the previous year like King of the Ring and Beware of Dog I found to be quite quite dull quite predictable I didn't get the feel of this one because you didn't really know what to expect from Shawn Michaels you know he was just on this this heel turn and he was he was something of a, a tweener at the time I suppose he was he was more of a heel in in the US I think when he was feuding with The Undertaker and that but there was still a decent amount of people shouting for him in Birmingham that night so I think it was one of those where he was, he's been a such a powerful good guy for for a few years he couldn't really shake that uh, he, he still loved him and um, I I had to be even though I was still quite shy at the time I, I didn't the thought of like raising a sign you know a banner like you saw everyone in the crowd back in those days did um, I was quite nervous about it, but I I wanted to I wanted to take something to show that I was firmly behind HBK. And at that point, I wasn't averse to taking apart 
things in the house to make wrestling related stuff with I a, a lot of board games lost their cardboard boxes to my my wrestling belt um, <laughs> reproductions back in that back in those days I kind of hid them from my mum as well because some of them it was, it was good it was good cardboard you know it's good <laughs> it's good material I knew I needed to use it but I knew that she would shout at me if she saw that I'd just taken apart a brand new board game to for that cause but anyway I had a um, I remember I had a TV and video set up in my in my bedroom and have one of these cool at the time black ash corner tv units in my room it's so so cool i had nothing else to make a a, a banner out of um i had no sheets of card left because i'd used them all pretty much to make my wrestling belts so i i took off the it's like plywood um backing from my tv cabinet <laughs> and I, I went armed to birmingham that day on the train with this wooden sign um, which was it was black and I had uh, I'd glued um, a poster like an A4 poster that was in the WDF magazine of Shawn Michaels and I'd written or tried to write in very badly in, in gold glitter pen or it's got glitter paint really it wasn't so much a pen um, I wrote number one heartbreaker and heart as in h-a-r-t i was so proud of it but i at the same time i was really quite embarrassed <laughs> by this really crude sign this banner that I, I i went with but that was that was i i wanted to put it out there that i was a i was a Shawn michael supporter and uh the i mean i, I grew up in basingstoke um for those of you who who sort of don't know whereabouts that is it was it's probably about I don't know, about 150 miles or so from Birmingham, I think. Um, and I was th I was 13 years old, and um, my mum couldn't come because obviously my sister wasn't old enough to be left on her own. Um, you know, for for like two days. I don't think it was my mum's bag anyway. You know, going all that way to see wrestling with me. Um, so we needed to figure out how I was going to get there and who I was going to go with and everything. And my mum, bless her. Um, she 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 planned it all. Um, my cousin, who was living with us at the time, her boyfriend at the time, was was the guy that was uh, sort of coerced into taking me to chaperoning me, I guess. And we went on the train. I think it was Virgin Trains, if I remember rightly, from from Basingstoke up to Birmingham. And then we had to walk yeah. from the station up in Birmingham to the NEC. And I've been to the NEC once before then for um while I was at school we went to something that was called the CBBC Big Bash. It was like children's BBC. It's like their big event that they put on every year where some of their stars appeared and they had like games and stalls and everything set up. It's like a convention basically for children's TV. Um I I didn't really take on take on board the sheer scale of the NEC. It wasn't until later on that I realised that it was actually, you know, more than one building as well. But yeah. um I just remember watching the when I first saw the NEC it kind of it did like steel girders that come off it made it look like a big spider massive legs and it's the first thing I remember when I I watched this event back the first shot you get at the NEC is pretty much the first shot I got you know so it was it was that was the first moment when I was like wow you know I was actually there 
And that was the other thing about this event as well. It, it was broadcast on Skybox Office, which was a relatively new thing. You know, you hear about um, in America, particularly with wrestling, they always refer to uh, pay-per-view. Um, we never really had it that I know of in the UK. You know, Sky, our satellite television um, provider, they, with Sky Sports, I mean, they showed WWF anyway for free so all the big events were provided you had sky you you could watch them all you know for free every month anyway but then they brought out sky box office which was the new pay-per-view service so they had boxing matches on there they they eventually had football matches on there as well and i think one night only was one of the first events that i know of that was broadcast on there but one of the first if not the first wrestling event that was um, put on pay-per-view so not only had my mum spent on tickets which I think were probably about 40 quid each and the train tickets to get us up there for two of us and the hotel room for the night I also then managed to persuade her to also buy the event on pay-per-view which was another like 15 quid so that I could videotape it so I had that memory because obviously Dumbo notes to me at the time they were going to bring it out on VHS and DVD and it still exists today um, you can even watch it on the network it's still up there today but at the time I wasn't sure you know this was probably probably my only shot to be able to look back on this event um, time and time again so you know I, I asked her to buy it and videotape it for me and everything um, I wanted the, this record of this this night. So I don't remember too much about actually getting up there, the, the journey, other than me and my wooden sign. And when we finally got to the arena and we finally got inside, the first thing I had was Vince McMahon, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler because we managed to get in and we were trying to find our way round to our section of the stadium. Um, whilst they were doing their like sort of warm up bit before the event started so they were the announce team they were the commentary team for that night and they were in the ring trying to warm the crowd up and it was just hearing just knowing that they were in there and they were in the ring and, and these guys who I'd watched on TV literally only a few days before still they were actually in that building and then the moment I remember when we, we found our, our stall where we needed to go we walked up the steps and then it was my first time seeing any big event live and I just remember when you get to the top of the steps and then you, you get that first glimpse of the inside of the arena and you look down and there is the WWF ring in the middle decked out in the Union Jack they've got banners from the top of the ceiling Union Jack with the WWF logo on it you know then you, you realise this was real but even so we 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 went and found our seats and I just remember sitting there and just looking at the ring thinking you know, trying to convince myself I was actually there and I wasn't just watching TV and that's the one thing I remember for that night the most is I think that's the reason why I, I took pictures of quite grainy pictures um, from the night I had my camera on me which obviously back in those days wasn't really very clear and and I had it videotaping back home because I, I wanted to almost sort of prove to myself that it, it actually happened and that I was actually there. And, you know, like I say, like I could look back on it for years to come. 
so yeah, so I, mean, I was just trying to take it all in, and I, I was kind of I looked down. I remember, I mean, we were we were fairly high up, but the ring still seemed quite big at that point. I still had a good view. I could see off to, as I looked at it, the left side of the ring with the announce table where Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross were sitting by that point by the time we got up there. And and that was it. We we sat and we waited. And I think the the big thing then was when you had up on the Titan Tron um the first like the intro bit, the lead in for the Skybox office um bit basically the bit that you would see at home if you were tuning in so so when the event actually started they sky did their own sort of lead in advertising skybox office and and then you would get that start you get the outside shot of the nec and you could see as i, I didn't realize at the time that you'd be able to see what was being broadcast on live tv on the titantron until obviously they cut to the arena and then you just you know you're there and I think that moment again of seeing the NEC up on the Titantron and knowing I was in there was pretty magical, really. So let's let's dissect the card. So, like I said, let's look at the card as it was supposed to be beforehand. Now, right before I've come on to here, I've come on to record this. Um, when I've been sort of you know googling one night only, I've only just realised um, on um, Comrade Thompson's podcast one of them what happened when with um, Tony Schiavone he's actually done an episode deep diving into this event which I'm going to have to listen to after this Um, but anyway there is a it wasn't until recently that I saw this or remembered about this the original car that there is a poster if you go on the Wikipedia page I've also seen it posted up on on other sites it's got the WWF championship on the poster it's got obviously Shawn Michaels British Bulldog that match never changed. Um, the WWF title was meant to be on the line. Originally, it was going to be Bret Hart against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, you know, if I had been able to... The only thing that would have made that night even better, I think, for me, is if Austin had been there. Um, but that was originally scheduled. And you also had The Undertaker was supposed to be up against Ahmed Johnson because they had teased a feud between those two a little while before you know, before Ahmed had to go out with another injury so that changed um, eventually come the night or, or, or you know obviously prior to the event they announced that it was actually Ahmed was out with injury Austin was out with injury so they put together Bret Hart and The Undertaker in a SummerSlam rematch which again you know you're getting a the, or the big five pay-per-view the most recent of the big five pay-per-views we get the rematch of the main event at this one and it's not even really the main event at this at this one um and then so on the night um i there was a few things i went in i knew i i needed to find the merchandise store because there were certain things that i couldn't buy else you know i knew that i knew they would have for example the the foam toy wrestling belts there and I want always wanted one of them. I always wanted the WWF title, you know, the foam ones that you can get before the time of actually being able to buy the proper replicas. Um so we we settled down in our seats. Now I misjudged this a little bit and I I, I wanted to find the merch store before the show kicked off. So I actually um 
once they'd done their sort of little lead-in bit on the on the Titan Tron and that, or they they must have just they must have played that before because I I do remember seeing something on the Titan Tron before I left, but I don't think the event had properly started when I decided to up and go. Um, I was I was queuing at the the merch stall, and um, just about to get there. Firstly, the WWF title foam toy belt had sold out. I had to settle for a tag team title belt, but that was fine. And I had a little bit of money left, so I, I, I wanted to buy a program, but they were like, I remember they were £12, which was quite pricey really back then for a pro, you know, just essentially a book. Um, so I settled on a, like a fabricated faux leather Steve Austin bandana, which I hardly ever wore because I could never tie the damn thing up properly. Um, it was almost like they were trying to morph Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan together. I really, and, and a bit of an odd, odd piece of merchandise that, but there we go. And whilst I was stood there, I heard Triple H's music hit. Um, not obviously the game, but his his second one that he had, the big sort of opera style one. So I knew I was missing the start of the show. So I, I really wanted to get that. I missed the whole first match, which was um, Triple H against Dude Love. I missed all that because I was stood buying this this toy belt and the Steve Austin bandana and I even missed the start of the second match as well which was um, Leaf Cassidy against Tiger Ali Singh I did turn up I managed to get back I think I remember rightly that I think Leaf Cassidy had Tiger Ali Singh in a cobra clutch either that or the other way around I'm pretty sure it was a Cobra Clutch either way I, I remember walking back up and I could see the match in action and I basically hurried back to my seat but the one thing I missed before that so I missed Triple H and Dude Love and then I heard Sonny's music hit now just like every other teenage wrestling fan back then I was big into Sonny um, I, I, when I knew she was there I wanted to wanted to make sure I saw her and whatever and I missed her entrance. She um, and I think she was a ring announcer for that match. I missed it, but I got to hear her, see her briefly when the match finished and she announced the winner. So my first, my first mistake was I missed basically the opening one and a half matches of the show. But there we go. So going back to this program that I the the, the event program that I didn't buy, I've been on the hunt for one since. Um, and through the beauty of eBay, you know, I've, I've been able to find one lately. Um, I've, I've had trouble tracking them down, to be fair, I mean, for a decent price. Anyway, I think it was on eBay. No, it was, no, sorry, it was on Facebook. A guy in a mutual wrestling fan group on Facebook was selling a bunch of magazines, and this was amongst them. So I, I asked him um, how you know if he was selling them individually. Because he knew I wanted it, he, uh, he, he spared another guy this one out of the lot that he was buying so I, I essentially I bought it for the same price <laughs> it was back then but I think paying £12 in you know 2020 was probably better than paying £12 in 1997 but um, go to the inside cover and it's got the card as it was supposed to be and lo and behold there are changes to it yet again <laughs> so if you were there starting at the top you got British Bulldog and Shawn Michaels for the European Championship. You got Bret Hart against The Undertaker for the WWF title. You were then supposed to have Ken Shamrock against Owen Hart. You got Legion of Doom and the Godwins. Dude Love against Hunter Hest Elmsley. The Patriot against Vader. 
the Headbangers against Los Bariquas, Tiger Ali Singh against Leaf Cassidy, and Flash Funk versus Rockabilly. So out of all that, you actually... I believe Ken Shamrock was possibly injured back then, so he wasn't there. So they shifted it. Um, they made they they put Vader instead in a match with Owen Hart, which was quite cool. Seeing sort of former Camp Cornet teammates against each other, and looking back on it now, being able to see Owen Hart is, is something that I really do um, value from that night. And um, so then the Patriot was without a an opponent. He was meant to meet Vader. Um, so they gave him Flash Funk instead so they dropped Rockabilly from the show again not sure if there's any I haven't delved too deeply into why he wasn't there to be fair at the time I thought Rockabilly was was pretty hammy so I, I wouldn't have been too cut up about that anyway but then yeah so you ended up with the Patriot against Flash Funk which um, I, I like to you know kind of make connections back then still do really so it, it instantly hit me that you're seeing the two guys who held the tag team WCW tag team titles with Marcus Alexander Bagwell against each other because um, obviously two called Scorpio and the Patriot so so that was that was the card so in the end you had Bulldog against Michaels uh, you had Bret Hart and the Undertaker you had Owen Hart and Bader Legion of Doom and the Godwins Dude Love Hunter S. Elmsley Patriot against Flash Funk, Headbangers and the Lost Bariquas, and Tiger Ali Singh and Leaf Cassidy. Um, I don't think I missed much with the Tiger Ali Singh Leaf Cassidy one, but it's kind of cool to say that I'd seen a glimpse of Al Snow. Although, again, wouldn't really know the magic of him until later on, sort of when he got to '98 and that, and he, you know, and beyond, he really started to ha- developing his own character rather than this pretty crappy one that they gave him as you know part of the new rockers um i mean if i take away anything from the the undercard of that show firstly i think the biggest pop of the night that i remember was when the headbangers won their match against los bariquas i mean they were over and you wouldn't have really thought i mean i was quite quite pleased when they won the tag team titles I didn't really see that coming at ground zero but they yeah I mean the, the crowd was massively into the headbangers and they went nuts when they won their match um, Legion of Doom and the Godwins was a good one I mean I think it was it was a case of it was good to see the Legion of Doom the Godwins at the time they were probably better as, as heels than they were as faces but I, it was a pretty felt like a pretty clumsy feud that one it was it, it wasn't wasn't a lot of excitement in it um Owen Hart and Vader was was a good match I mean Owen was just magic really and seeing a guy like Vader because I mean he he was a guy I again grew up watching I remembered how brutally he beat Sting back in 92 for the WCW title so he's quite a force to be reckoned with and, and seeing a guy that big move like he did um, but that was that was I was shocked by the finish with that I thought Owen would somehow come out with that but he got cleanly pinned uh, he jumped off the top rope and Vader caught him into a, a power slam and a pinning combination and yeah I, I probably didn't see that one coming to be fair Bret Hart and The Undertaker was an entertaining match as you would have expected um, a bit of a naff finish you know disqualification finish I think I remember Bret Hart won after he he did his whole like he did at SummerSlam 95 where he got his his head caught in the ropes and sort of in a hanging kind of situation and um, 
if I remember it right, the Undertaker just just sort of he wouldn't break, he wouldn't let him break it, and he he sort of kept hit, you know, going over and pounding on him while he was stuck in the ropes, and the referee just basically called a disqualification. Bit of a a feeble ending to a a match that could have ended a lot better. But then again, you look at the other matches they had: Royal Rumble '96 with a DQ finish, SummerSlam was a screw job finish, really. So it would have been interesting to see a clean finish with this one, but they weren't really in that, you know, the realms of doing that at the time, I suppose. Um, and then you get to, I mean, the Patriot Flash Funk. I won't really say too much on that one. That just was what it is, what, what it was really. The, the Patriot got more of a heel kind of reaction to that one, which I was quite surprised about. You, you could you could see that the Heart Foundation, US, a sort of, you know, US against the rest of the world kind of thing. You know, it wasn't just Canada; it was Britain as well. You know, they they really incited that. You you felt that the Heart Foundation were the favourites going into that event. So you know, Owen got a pop, and I think Bret Hart, you know, was was probably more of the the favourite than the Undertaker. And um, on the flip side, because the Patriot was involved at the time in this program with with Bret, he was he was booed at some points you know people sided with even though it's two favorites going against each other i think flash funk probably got more of the the crowd's reaction um as a fan favorite but yeah i mean patriot went over flash funk you know it's you probably saw that coming flash funk by this point was was more of a sort of jobber status which was a shame um but then you got to the the main event um the European title match the only time I think the European title has, has had such a prominent place on a on a pay-per-view and again it's, it's to Bulldog's credit I suppose because back in 92 at SummerSlam one of the only times that the Intercontinental title's been just been in the main event slot the closing slot um, but yeah I I just remember Sean was he had heat that night not from me I loved it I, I thought seeing him was just fantastic I thought the Bulldog unfortunately was by this stage a little limited a little boring compared to what he used to be I wasn't really behind him at all but then the, the magical part is when then you have Triple H and China come down later on in the match and also Rick Rude I for, totally forgot about him until I saw it back again and that's when it really opened up that you knew you know you could see DX um, in its infancy then and and the fact that Sean was a fully fledged heel now um, because they uh, um, just remember the point where the bulldog was laid on the outside and they the the ring floor or the arena floor or ringside anyway was slightly raised the normal um, compared to the security railings so I think it was more raised off the floor than you would see normally so he was on he was on the floor outside and his leg was kind of dangling down off the side in between the ring mats and the the guardrail and so then you've got as soon as the referee's back turned triple h rick rude china there all basically pounding british bulldog's knee with this guardrail and that's the one point i think my mum even said to me when i went back the next day and she said that that her um and my sister probably I don't I can't remember who else was there at the time they watched it and and she just she was quite appalled at that bit I think not not just for the fact that it was you know she she was one of these that used to go on about you know obviously wrestling being um fake but also sort of a bit over the top as far as the drama goes 
um, don't really know what she would think about it these days, to be honest. <laughs> 97 was a lot more believable, I think. But um, I think it was the fact that David Boy was so outnumbered, he, he managed it, that managed to get that reaction from my mum. Yeah, it's just not fair. You know, how are we supposed to believe this guy had any chance when there's this four-on-one, essentially? And that's that's really the feel. That's when you know they've done it right because that's the feel that you wanted. You know, Shawn Michaels comes over into the Bulldogs' country. They kept saying it was in his hometown. I mean, British Bulldogs' hometown has gone from everything from London to Birmingham to Manchester, regardless of where he was performing. He was actually from Leeds, I think Leeds Bradford. He's a Yorkshireman, <laughs> anyway. Um, but basically, coming to his his, his it, it, take him apart and embarrassing him, not only in front of his his home crowd, but members of his family were in attendance as well. So it was really emotional. You could see they were just really lighten the match, lighten the torch with DX against the Heart Foundation, which would culminate, like I say, at the Survivor Series that year in a in a massive, massive way. And um, yeah, I mean, that was as soon as Shawn Michaels was declared the winner, I was on my feet. I nearly took a guy out. I was told by you know hoisting my my wooden sign up in the air so ferociously because I was on top of the world um, that he had won. Even though most of the crowd was booing him, there were there were sections around me I could hear were cheering him, but very it seemed like very few. You know, I was really out on my own. And then he gets on, Sean gets the mic and starts basically trashing the crowd. And you you, you got to love it, you know. He left with the title. I, I think I remember Triple H hoisting Michael's up as, you know, he, he's got hold of the belt and then they leave. And then Davey Boy ends up having to be helped out, carried out by Brett and Owen. You know, it's, it's drama at its best. And, you know, much like this feature... Um, I can say I was there when, you know, when DX screwed the Bulldog, when Davy Boy lost in Birmingham. You know, I was there when, when HBK beat Bulldog in Birmingham. Yes, yeah, it was a it was a, a memorable night. Not only for that event, but like I said, for for much of the undercard, it was there was stuff going on that was that just made that that was a dream come true that night, and it's really stayed with me. So. I, I went back to the hotel room that night, you know, I, I tried on my belt that I bought and I looked in the mirror and that, and I was, I was really happy. I, I slept well that night. Um, sort of standing in the taxi queue the next morning, trying to get a, um, oh no, sorry, no, not the next morning. Standing in the taxi queue right after this show that night, waiting for a taxi to go back to our hotel. Massive stream of fans and you just kind of felt like, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I found my, I'm, I'm I'm in like with family, you know. It's like I'm in my community there, you know. It was it was fantastic, and for for me, since 13 years old, it's a it's a big thing, and that's probably one of the reasons why I've carried on, why wrestling's never left me. To be fair, it's because the emotions I felt that night, and that's the reason why I I I apology. I didn't I did announce this show back in September. I was supposed to do this the week after the the anniversary, the end of September. Because I, I realised that it, it had been, um, you know, it was around that time. It was literally a week after. It was 23 years. So I was due to do it. And then the, the, I had to sort of postpone recording of the podcast. So I wanted to bring it back round now. And, and really, because I'm moving on to, I, I really want to speak to people who 
who have witnessed these things, these really memorable things um, live and what it was like, you know, what you experienced, what you remember. So this is mine. This episode, that's my memories. I didn't get to see the WWF again, unfortunately. They didn't come over that all that often back then. And this was the biggest event over in the UK since SummerSlam 92. So I am hoping to be able to speak to someone who has been to SummerSlam, whether I managed to get him on for the release of the, the, the following show, I'm not sure. But as soon as I can, I will, because I that's one event it's still regarded as one of the best ones one of the best pay-per-views so um yeah i'd love to to find out what that was like to actually be there but this was mine this is my memories my time of of what i witnessed that night and uh at one night only so um join me again next week i've got some great people i'm talking to and they've got some great memories that they've seen live or if you're listening to this and you've got any of your own contact me via instagram facebook um i i i I, i'm quite up for doing more of these really and and talking to uh, to you know other people about uh, their experiences of wrestling not just wwf could be wcw wcw would be great because i don't know many people at all that that, um so far that that have seen wcw back in the day so that would be cool but yeah get in touch and um join me back again next week when um when I, I i talk to these these other guys and uh or if you uh if you got any if anyone else was there i'll tell you what if anyone else was there one night only that night get in touch i would i would love to sort of share some uh you know compare some notes as it were but um yeah thank you for joining me again and um i look forward to to coming back again next week and keep up to date you know follow me on facebook if you don't already follow me on facebook and instagram i will be announcing um as soon as i've got the dates sorted out i will be announcing the other names that i've got lined up um i've got a few fantastic names that you will recognize that i'm hoping to get on here and it's looking good at the minute so fingers crossed but um yeah that's me for now and i'll speak to you next week Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production. 